0: Let's pray, and uh, we'll begin talking about the hands of a leader, part one. So, God, thank you so much for your mercies that are new every morning. God, I'm even just remembering even uh, last night just doing an interview with a good friend of mine, and we're just talking about the holiness of God and, and what does that mean. And, God, we want to be holy for you are holy. We want to be set apart. Set us apart in our in our ways oh god that try to uh contradict itself against who you are set us apart oh god so that we can remain on holy ground god if 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 we're bringing our own uh uh metaphorical sandals whatever that looks like to this holy place god remove it god uh cut it apart so that we can be uh made holy and just in your sight Because at the end of the day, God, it's not about perfection, but it's about the person of Jesus Christ. And God, we are here to learn about how to be the best version of Jesus that we can possibly be and God, we've not only sacrificed God. We not only have been ridiculed. God, we not only have been uh, looked at as saying, why are you even bothering with such a chorus or why are you even bothering with such a religion? But for us, it is relationship for us. It is the only thing that we know how to do for us. There is no other way. There is no plan B. This is it, God. So I pray that you will right now ignite these 30 to be fueled in faith. Ignite these 30, O oh God, to say, I want a deeper connectedness to who God is. Ignite these 30, O oh God, to be ministers of your word, not ashamed of the gospel. Unprovoked, O oh God, going into the highways, O oh God, going to, into the unknown territories, Lord, and reclaiming the promised land. God, you you have called us by name. You've called each here by name for such a time as this. And I thank you for them. And I thank you for their heart, God. And just make it pliable. Make our hearts pliable. Make our minds think on you. And right now, God, as we talk about the hands, allow our hands to be used for your glory, God, for the masses. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Amen. Well, as always, get your uh, notepads out, get your writing, whatever you guys are going to write with. Obviously, again, I don't have the board with me, but um, it's going to be good regardless of the fact. So, So today we're talking about the hands of a leader. Today's memory verse that I want you to always work on is going to be found in Matthew chapter 20, verse 27 to 28. Okay, And we've read this a few times, but uh, now I want this to really be embedded in your spirit. Matthew 20, 27 to 28, it reads, And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was the occasion where uh, the mother is really going to Jesus with with her sons, the sons of Zebedee, and just saying, you know, uh, allow my sons to be there with you, to sit at your right hand, to drink from your cup. And then Jesus comes back and says, you know, you don't know what you're really asking for. Um, So leadership, right? And we're we're talking about servant leadership. We've been discussing servant leadership uh, always from the perspective of leading like Jesus as the main style of leadership. Okay, so there's different forms of leadership but we're talking about servant leadership here. When we're talking about servant leadership, servant leadership is what's called a inside-out job. It's an inside-out job and it begins with the question, are you on earth to serve or to be served? So that's the question and that was that was what these disciples because they were arguing about who is going to be the greatest but the real boils down to is are you on earth to serve or to be served so this question that we dealt with in the heart we dealt with this question in the heart we dealt with this question in the head but now we journey to how this begins as we use our hands now here's a Uh, a line that I want you to remember. Great leaders should inspire greatness in others. Great leaders should inspire greatness in others. I want you to remember that. I want you to write that down. I want you to hashtag it. Whatever you have to do because if you're a mediocre leader, you're going to produce mediocre followers. But if you become great, and I'm not talking about great in the the realm of what we're thinking about the world standards, I'm talking about great as defined as Jesus is defining it for us here. What is great? Someone that's a slave. What is great? Someone that is willing to serve. That is greatness. You see how paradoxically that looks different in the world because now the world says "That's that's not greatness. Jesus flips the script now. So what the hands do is the hands provide a a powerful symbol of the doing aspect of leading like Jesus. So what Jesus does is Jesus utilizes his hands to do the father's work, right? How did Jesus do this? We know, in scripture, Jesus healed the sick. Right? He cleansed the leopards. He overturned the tables of the money changers. He washed the feet of the disciples. Right, had, And even Jesus hung on a cross to die for our sins. So Jesus' hands also was motivated by this same purpose, to point people to a holy and loving God. That was the purpose. That was the reason. That motivated Jesus. His purpose was to point people to the holiness of God and the loving kindness of God. And also to help them recognize that their sinful condition, they needed God. So Jesus really got his hands dirty. <laughs> just to just really sum it up. Jesus got his hands dirty. He used his hands to work, he prayed to the Father, and he prayed this in John seventeen four. He said, I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So it was the work of what? Teaching his disciples. Jesus spent time to teach his disciples the gospel message of forgiveness, the gospel message of hope, of eternal life, until they were able to understand it. And and for Jesus, his ministry didn't begin until the age of 30. So only three years of public ministry, only three years to train the disciples accordingly, only three years so that they could get this message right. So the first thing I want to talk about, we're going to be talking uh, later about the work of the carpenter. But for right now, I want to talk to you about the leader as a performance coach. Okay? The leader as a performance coach. I want to read a scripture to you. You guys can write this down if you want. But Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Matthew chapter 4 verse 19 says, Jesus said to Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you, what? Fishers of men. So, someone who leads like Jesus acts as a performance coach. Because what a performance coach does is they are constantly investing into the lives of those that they lead. You are a performance coach, each and every one of you, right? Remember in the beginning, one of the very first sessions I said to you, I said, who here um, is a leader? And some didn't raise their hand. And then we went into the whole thing of what the definition of leadership looked like. And then at the end, everyone said, okay, well, I guess I am a leader. Well, guess what everyone here is a performance coach as well because in some way shape or form you are investing into the lives of others right uh jesus was the preeminent performance coach because what he would do is he, he would change his leadership style appropriately as his disciples developed individually as a group so jesus would do things, even some of his leadership styles and some of the things that he did, he would change them even depending on the character of the disciple. We can't go really too much into that. That's literally a whole teaching. But even the way Jesus spoke, even the way Jesus ministered to them, to some of them, right? And we know that because he kept uh, three around him all the time, Peter, James, and John. And then there were 12. And then there were others. So through the work of his hands, Jesus was an effective servant leader. Okay. He was able to communicate to his disciples what was in his heart. He was able to communicate to the disciples what was in his head about being a servant leader. So I want to give you guys now three basic components of a performance coach. You guys with me? You hanging in there? Your hands are hurting yet? Okay, good. Well, we got more to go. Let's go. Let me give you three basic components to a performance coach. The first one is this performance planning. Performance planning. So when we're talking about performance planning, this is the the leadership aspect of servant leadership that provides direction and goal setting so a performance coach is someone who is providing other people the people that they lead on their teams with direction and goals so that they can set i want you guys to start thinking about the circles that you are in right now is your leader challenging you Providing you direction, but also challenging you to making sure that you attain those goals. Here's the thing about Christians sometimes. We don't set enough goals and then we begin to become complacent in our walk. And then we don't think we have to do anything anymore, right? Because there's no goals in front of us. There's nothing tangible in front of us, right? It's like, okay, well, I reached the apex now. Uh, of my Christian walk, I've arrived, so to say, but the reality is, if you don't have no goals and you're not attaining towards something, you're not being stretched in the process, and you're you're pretty much going to uh, stand in muddy waters because you're not pushing yourself. You have to have goals, and a performance coach knows how to plan those accordingly. Okay, so that's the first component of being a performance coach. The second one is day-to-day coaching. Day-to-day coaching. And day-to-day coaching coaching focuses on, again, the servant aspect of servant, uh, servant leadership. And what it does, it, it involves helping people to win or to accomplish now their goals by how they look at uh, their teams how, how well are they performing are they praising them along the way or are they redirecting them so the day-to-day coaching this is something that Jesus did all the time day to day he would coach his disciples he would redirect them right when they did something uh, uh he would praise them when they did something right. Right, Even in front of the Pharisees, he would actually praise them before the religious leaders. But a performance coach in a day-to-day operation observes the team to see how well they're performing. So that's where you guys fit in. You need to be observant enough to see what is going on. What we personally do is I have V1 college students or I have... Uh, those that just want to learn. I say, hey, you want to learn? Stand next to me. Observe what I see during a a service. Observe what I see during, you know, uh, how we're operating through the the course of the liturgy, how we're doing different things in in, in leadership. You know, shadow me. Shadow me to see. The disciples were the ultimate shadowers. (laughs) The disciples were the ultimate shadowers because they were able to see exactly what Jesus was doing. So that's the day-to-day coaching. And then the last one is performance evaluation. Okay, performance evaluation. Again, this is involving servant leadership. Uh, But this is when you sit down with people and then you evaluate their performance over a span of time. So because here's the thing, and this is the part that's hard for people to do. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because we want to be overly uh, nice and joyful, right? And um, you know, but here's the reality: if someone, let's say, I gave you a glass of water, ninety-nine percent of it was pure water, and one percent was would be was poison. Would you still allow me to drink it? No, I hope not. I hope, you, I hope somebody would say something and say, Pastor Eddie, hold on a second, there's a 1% poison in there, right? Um, now listen, being in New York City, uh, you know, we got the, the the best water here, so we're good in New York. So tap water here, actually in New York is probably, and I, I had this conversation with my barber today for some reason, so I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but it just makes sense because uh, sometimes those things that we don't even see or observe, But even if it's just polluted by just a percentage, it's still, and we don't, and if we don't give redirection to people, that 1% turns to 2%, that 2% becomes 5%, that 5% becomes 10%. You get what I'm saying? So we need to redirect people and we need to evaluate them. You know, now listen, I'll tell you one thing, you guys already know, if you don't know me by now, I don't have a problem evaluating people. I don't have a problem telling people, Hey, listen, you know what? You're wrong. (laughs) I don't have a problem telling people, but this is all in love, obviously, but I don't have a problem telling people in love, Hey, let's consider some other options or, or let's lead a certain way, or, you know what, this was great, but maybe there are some other things that you probably could have done that would have changed the the outcome of it, right? You have to be able to do that. And that takes, that does take time, but just keep that in the framework of your mind. Okay. Um, so, uh, because here's the thing I want you to, you guys to understand is that we need to give people the final exam before taking the test. Think about what I just said right now. We need to give people the final exam before taking the test. What does that mean, Pastor Reddy? That means giving them the information well before well before i'm not just talking about just factual information i'm talking about information from your soul information from your character how do people know who jesus is by your character how you represent yourself right um one of our v1 college students that's here erin gave a a, a a great great story that literally had me in tears where she just ministered to someone at her workplace and was coming up against just different kinds of oppression. And now this person, uh, through Aaron, uh, understand now what the gospel really meant. And as a result, now he's transformed, his family's transformed, and they're probably going to be some of the biggest ministers and pastors and evangelists of all time. We don't know, right? But Aaron planted the seed by her character. She gave him the final exam before he even took it. And how was that possible? That was only possible because of her character. That was only possible because she understands the attributes of God, the holiness of God infused inside of her. And she used these hands to minister the gospel. Well, what is when you provide someone with the final exam, you're giving them clarity of purpose that helps them to establish their goals and to give them direction. Let me give you a scripture here to put it more into perspective. Psalms 33, 10 to 11. Now remember all these scriptures I'm giving to you, apart from doing the physical homework, I do want you to read these scriptures over again. Uh, It just just helps to just retain all this. Psalms 33, uh, 10 to 11 says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Because the, day, the day-to-day coaching uh, is needed to uphold the planning. The planning that God has for his people. You are the ones right here. Each and every one of you. You are the ones that are holding this together. You're the ones in the day-to-day operations, right? Remember, we talked about um, the pyramid, right? We got the, the the imagery of the pyramid and the hierarchy, right? This is this is this is what we're talking about when we're turning it upside down as a servant leader, and now begins, now it begins to work for the people, right? So, uh, when the plan is clear, uh, it is now that we are able to teach the people the right answers give them the right perspective, give them the right choices so that they can accomplish the goals that they have for their lives. So, um, but it's also here too, just as a performance coach, that you have to guard your heart. And there's a reason why we, we talked about the heart before, but um, because what ends up happening is that now you get into a mode of seeing people do things, right? So there's this performance-driven mentality that happens. And here's the thing, and we talked about it last time, they're going to outperform their goals. And sometimes we're going to feel a certain way, like, wow, they really did a really, really good job. And now your pride comes into play. Or you feel a certain way now because someone achieved something so great. It benefits everybody. Right? It was under your direction, it was under your day-to-day care. You love them. Now, instead of celebrating them, you condemn them. So we need to understand that um, we need to allow people the freedom to outperform us. We need to allow the people the freedom to outperform us. You think Jesus just said to his disciples, listen, do the work, but only do it mediocrely. <laughs> Don't Only cast out 10 demons this week, all right? I cast out 20, you guys only cast out 10. No, Jesus just gave them the power. <laughs> Jesus just gave them the authority. And some of us as leaders, where we have that mindset that we don't want people to do better than us. The great thing about us at V1 is we don't care about that stuff. <laughs> and I've been to a lot of church settings for decades, and let me tell you something: I've never been in a setting here that allows for your gifted giftedness to excel. And I know everybody can say Amen to that because at V1, it's it's we want you to outperform the next person because guess what? It benefits the kingdom of God at the end of the day. So let's learn to celebrate people, right? Uh, and we need to help people become high performers, uh, not just by doing. Right? That's not just, you know, just the the product of it, but by them being models of this character of serving. So we gotta teach them, right? Obviously to attain their goals, but hey, in the process, make sure your character reaches up to your goals. Sometimes our goals are so far ahead that our character is left behind. That's a problem i rather have somebody on my team that is full of character, full of faith than, than someone who, who just is goal-oriented and driven by performance, right? So, because it's the character that's going to sustain you. So, that's it for the performance coach. Um, now, I want to talk to you about the work of the carpenter. Okay, now this is, we're going to get into it right now. <laughs> this this is the meat and potatoes of of this message so get ready you guys need to shake it off a little bit <laughs> shake it off now because after this we're going right through all right this is like literally this is going to be uh, a, a good one right here so okay the work of the carpenter let me first start off with the scripture you could just write this down matthew 13 55 to 56 I'm just gonna read this for you matthew 13 55 to 56. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Imagine Jesus' brother was called Judas. (laughs) Imagine the awkwardness of that table. That's a whole other sermon. Verse 56. And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man Get all these things. So, the life of Jesus is is full of purpose. Right from his birth, right from his death, right from the resurrection, fulfilling hundreds and hundreds of prophecies. But for the first 30 years of the life of Jesus, not much is actually said. As he lives his life really in obscurity, uh, learning from his father, his earthly father, the trade of a carpenter. But he learned from his heavenly father the role of priest, prophet, and king. So, what was Jesus, the son of God, doing in a carpenter's shop? What was he doing there? I want you to put that in in the comments. I want to do some interaction here today. What do you think Jesus, the son of God, was doing in a carpenter's shop? Let me me hear uh, some of you right now. You can put your answers in the comments. What do you think Jesus was doing in a carpenter's shop? The son of God. Submitting. That's good. Very good. You, you're close, Aaron. <laughs> but I love it. Preparation to carry up. Yep, yep. Carpentry serving. Yep. There you go. Learning and building character. Woo. There you go. Come on. We're going to expose something today. Building. Yup. His father's work. Learning how to be humble. That's right. Learning to serve. Preparing for a ministry. Yes. Yes. I love it. Here's my answer. Practicing. It was practicing. It was a season of practice and preparation as he would now take on different roles as being a performance coach. So, you guys hit it right on the head. He was in a season of practice and preparation to be able to fit into the role of performance coach. So, um, let's take a look at this. I want to take a look here at the similarities of the work of a good carpenter and the work of a good leader, right? As it pertains to leading like Jesus. So there are literally probably like a good, um, there's eight that I'm going to give you right now. So these are eight, uh, eight similarities between the good carpenter and the work of a good leader as it pertains to leadership. So here's the first one. And I'll take some time so you guys could write this down. Uh, Good carpenters and good leaders good carpenters and good leaders must be able to envision something that does not yet exist. And then Commit to do what it takes to create it. I'm going to say it again. Good carpenters and good leaders must be able to envision something that does not yet exist and then commit to do what it takes to create it. So we've discussed that before we must have a compelling vision, right? We talked about that. Where are we passionate about, right? Uh, the, those things that provides direction to our team. But here's the reality. A good carpenter and a good leader must envision something that does not exist yet. What does a carpenter do? A carpenter gets a piece of wood. And it's just a piece of wood. It's just a log. It's just something that's just, it's just sitting there. It's just in its natural form. But what a good carpenter and a good leader is able to do is to see it in the natural, but envision it in the supernatural. So a good leader is to able to see that block of wood in its, in its disfigured form, in its natural form, and to say that has potential. And to say, that's going to be something created for my image. That's something that has purpose in it. When everyone else looked at it as just a log or a piece of wood. I see a masterpiece. I see something that I can envision. It doesn't exist yet. But guess what? I'm going to commit myself to work with with it. Use my hands. And create something out of nothing. So here's the question that I want to pose to you here. Have we established a compelling vision that is clear for people, that they can see? Because you have people under you, you have people over you, but are you allowing people to see the potential in other people? Do they understand the purpose of their commitment level? Can they see the picture of the future? Remember we talked about that, the picture of the future. Are the goals established, right? And have uh, you been able to communicate that clearly enough so that people are able now to focus on what they must do right now? So I could just picture Jesus just even right there, his father giving him a piece of wood and say, make me a chair or make me something suitable. Because what that's going to do is going to um, allow people to benefit from whatever you've created. So, whatever you create is going to benefit other people. But you have to be committed to it. And that's what a good leader does. Here's the second one good carpenters and good leaders must be good judges of raw material. Good carpenters and good leaders must be good judges of raw material. Okay. Here's a question I want you guys to put in the comments right now. What is the raw material of a leader? What do you think? What is the raw material of a leader? We've been talking about it the whole time, but teachable himself Gifts, okay. Humility, character, humility, character. Everybody's saying character now because we've been talking about that for a long, <laughs> for a while. It's gotta be character, Pastor. The heart, vision, vision, vision. Yup, yeah, okay. Okay. I'ma stop, I'm gonna stop you guys right there. I want you to really think about that question. Because you're thinking more internally. I need to get you out that mindset. It's not just the internal. It's not just the character. It's not just the vision. Think about it. What is the raw material of a leader? Right? The raw material of a leader, you ready? Is people. (laughs) People are the raw material of a leader. Good leaders must assess right the current condition and the future potential of people that's the raw material the people that come into your 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 table fellowship the people that come to your watch parties the people that come to your connect groups that's the raw material that you've got to be able to shape and to mold and you got to be good judges of that character right how well do you know here's the question i always ask people And I always ask, and I want to challenge each and every every one of you right now and those listening to this podcast, how well do you know the people that you are leading? How well do you really know them? When was the last time you actually checked in on them, right? Because here's the reality. We can fall prey to operating under outdated assumptions about people that we lead because we think that they're been the same 10 years ago. Oh, well, they must be doing good because I had a conversation with them 10 years ago and they're great. And we work out of those outdated assumptions thinking that we know our people. It really is foolishness because Jesus knew everyone, had a personal intimate relationship with everyone that he came in contact and if he didn't know guess what he did he always asked questions he always asked some questions to know their heart so how well do you know your raw material because the longer that you rely on assumptions about people the more prone you are to isolating yourself from the truth about them And what happens is you make your leadership ineffective in the process. I want you to write this down. This is something that that I've, I'm, I'm, learn people before they learn you. (laughs) Somebody got to put that somewhere. Learn people before they learn you. Are you a, a good judge of these raw materials that God has given to you? Because the reality is when you come and you want that vision, that compelling vision to to, to be complete or you have that goal and that mindset, right? And as a carpenter, what does a carpenter do? Do they just pick up any old wood? Do they just pick up any old material and say, oh, you know what? This will do. Oh, this will do. No, they're good judges of the raw material that they've been given. And even if the material is not good, guess what? They make it into something that is good for his glory. But you got to learn people. Learn people. Take the time out to talk to people. I Let me just put this in perspective. I worked last night. I worked midnight. I came home, woke up around maybe 1 o'clock, 1.30. I've already had maybe 10 to 15 conversations with people. And some of you have been up more than me. And you even have not had that many conversations. I know I'm getting real now, but this is good. This is what you guys want. <laughs> but see, that's the reality. It has to come from the heart. And we talked about that. It has to come from the heart, into the mind, and now into the hands. Into the hands where you're calling people and you're learning about them. So learn people before they learn you. Here's the third one. Good carpenters and good leaders must consider the cost before the work begins all right we're getting deep now good carpenters and good leaders must consider the cost before the work begins so you got to be realistic about the task that's in front of you because a good a good leader is willing to pay the cost in full before even asking Uh, others to follow in their same direction right case in point Jesus Jesus never downplayed the cost of following in his footsteps right Uh, he would he spoke to the disciples constantly about his death but he also spoke to them about dying to self as well taking up your cross right being persecuted for my name's sake right Jesus went before. He understood the cost. He understood what it was going to take in order for them to achieve salvation. So good leaders never ask anyone to do something that they themselves are not willing to do. You know how many times I've been around some leaders that are not willing to break out of their comfort zone or, or or they're not willing to be stretched and pliable, right? They're putting old wine into new wineskin. You have to be always in a season of stretching, always in a teachable spirit, always in a place where you understand the cost and then you say, well, you know what? I'm lacking in this area or or I'm deficient in this area. I'm gonna be stretched to the point so that I can learn to grow in that area. That's how you count the cost. That's how you count the cost. You do something about it in order to get, to fulfill that obligation and that cost for people. So you're gonna stretch yourself. Maybe, maybe some of you, you're, you're, you're in some ministries right now that you're just, you're just there. You're, you're, you're there and not, you, it feels like a weekly thing and it's becoming routine and then now it's becoming religious. It's becoming to a point where it's like, you know, God, this is, you know, uh, I want more out of this. Some of you probably need to get out of your present ministry and go into something else because you've been in it for so long. But you're not willing to leave because you're comfortable. No, you know I'm speaking to somebody here or somebody listening. Right. Sometimes you have to get uncom. You have to get uncomfortable wh- while being comfortable. You got to, You have to get out in order so that now you can see the cost. Because if you're just seeing the cost from your mindset and your perspective and from your own little circle and bubble, you're not really counting the cost. You're not. What you're doing is just you're just you're just putting things into perspective according to what you think the cost should be. But then when you get the bill, right? How many of you, you ever went to a restaurant? (laughs) And I do this all the time. You go to a restaurant, the first thing you look at is the prices. That's the first thing. (laughs) When me and and my wife go out, I'm like, all right, I know she's gonna want probably the most expensive uh, dinner that's on that plate. First thing I'm doing, I'm looking at the cost. I'm like, all right, $60 for a steak. Yeah, I don't know. You know, is there like a $30 steak or maybe we could just cut it in half or something like, I don't know, like, how, how can I count this cost, right? So what I told so me when I go into a restaurant, I'm counting before and I'm planning it in my head. And I said, okay, she had potatoes, she had steak, uh, the kids had, you know, chicken nuggets, so they had this and that I had, you know, salad, because they're gonna, you know, make me broke. So all I had was a salad uh, and some water. Uh, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. Uh, So, and then when you get the bill and you're like, okay, you know, what I think it's probably going to be around this amount. And then you look at it and you look at the bill and you're like, no way. This is gratuity added, right? (laughs) This is 10% added, right? So we miscalculate counting the cost. And I say all that to say just make sure that whatever you're doing, whatever ministry or function or gifting that you are in, that you're counting the total cost as a leader. Here's the fourth one good leaders, good carpenters, and good leaders have a carefully defined plan for producing specific results. Say that again. Good carpenters. And good leaders have a carefully defined plan for producing specific results. Whenever you look at a carpenter, um, and I actually did, I actually did carpentry work for about a good uh, year and a half uh, when I was younger in my teenage years, and what we would always do is we would look at the place where we were going to be at whatever and we and we would have a blueprint and we would have a, a scaled out uh, plan and we would measure each size of the room and we would measure the hallways and the floors and all this and then what we did is we put all that into a plan, we put all of that into kind of like a, a outline of what it would look like and then from then From there, we would be able to get the proper uh, uh, carpets or the proper flooring that we needed that would be able to fit into that specific area. So, a good leader serves the missions and the values of the organization, right? That's what we do by focusing on the means, focusing on the materials, the efforts, right? The development of people. So that they can be able to achieve these specific goals. So the plan Jesus has for producing the highest good in people. It remains the same 2,000 years later. It's the same thing. He walked this earth. He transformed people. He inspired people. He equipped people right, to go into the world guided by the love of the Holy Spirit. To make disciples of all nations, that was the plan. That was the overall plan. It hasn't changed two thousand years later. Sometimes we get into Christian circles, and too much, and and even in theology, to some extent, we get so in. The redemptive history of God has never changed. The redemptive plans of God, even on an es- uh, uh, even on a uh uh. Eschatological uh, viewpoint, revelation—all that—it's not—it it's, hasn't changed, and it's not going to change. The plan is still the same plan that it was: make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So make sure that you have a carefully defined plan, and that it lines up again what we talked about with the values and the mission. heartbeat of the gospel number five good carpenters and good leaders apply accurate measurements and standards of success to their work good carpenters and good leaders apply accurate measurements and standards of success to their work so Talked a little bit about, you know, the measurements and and stuff like that. But um, good leaders accept responsibility for setting standards. Because what that does is that it reflects a balance between uh, producing practical results and also, at the other hand, building healthy relationships. So for Jesus, right, the measurement of Jesus' success was both to do what? To glorify his father and to obey the father's will. Very few would have um, seen a man that was hung from from a cross as a supreme example of servant leadership because to hang on the cross was a curse. But yet here's Jesus, right? Hanging on the cross, defying the odds So the test of leadership is this. The test of leadership is the impact the leader has on the spiritual well-being of those that they are influencing. John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you that you what love one another just as I have loved you, and you also are to love one another. So let me put this into perspective. So are you applying accurate measurements? Oh, let me change that word for you. Are you applying ac- accurate love to people that maybe you're having a hard time dealing with? I know that's hard. Trust me, I know. I want to be quick to hang up on people. <laughs> I want to I want to be quick to tell them, all right, well, my phone is busy. But I can't do that. Because I am a good leader working with a good carpenter and I got to provide accurate measurements and the standard of success. The standard of success doesn't say I'm going to avoid this person. The standards of success says I'm going to love this person until they become infectious with the glory of God. I'm going to love this person. I'm going to measure who they are, right? So you have the proper measurements. You're measuring them out, okay. Well, this person's dealing with this, and maybe there's, there's some trauma and there's uh maybe a spiritual opposition that they're facing of some kind. But whatever that measurement is, I'm gonna work towards it so that I could produce and create a final product. I'm not gonna look at the measurement and be like, yeah, you know what? We don't have the right size for that. Yeah, we don't right, we don't have the right gifting for that. Oh, you know, we don't have the right uh, aid for that, whatever the case is. But here's the thing. Sorry to say, but all 30, some of you that are here right now, you've all been (laughs) equipped. So you're already. Well, it's all past already. Well, I don't speak in tongues or I don't do deliverance and I don't do this. Who cares? Doesn't matter. Doesn't Jesus live inside of you? Doesn't the Holy Spirit dwell inside of you? That's all you need. That's all that you need. But you have to measure and count the cost because that's going to produce uh, your succession rate. So here's number six. We're getting close and then we're almost done. Good carpenters and good leaders must be able to master must be able to master the use of a variety of tools. Good carpenters and good leaders must be able to master the use of a variety of tools and know when and how to apply them to get the best results. Say one more time. Good carpenters and good leaders must be able to master the use of a variety of tools and know when and how to apply them to get the best results. So, the raw material is what again? People. A performance coach realizes that people are not all on the same level of development. You have to be able to see it, the tools that you are using the people that have uh, come to you on their team, right? So as a carpenter, there are multiple tools for for carpentry. You just don't use one tool to get the job done. That's what's called a self-interested leader. That's what's called a narcissistic pastor. (laughs) That's what's called uh, a, a leader that manipulates and micromanages every single aspect of ministry. You won't find that here. Why? Because we believe in a variety of tools. We believe, but at the same time, you have to be able to master. That's the key word there. Master the use of these tools and how to apply them to get the best results. Right. So some of the people are, are going to need what? They, guess what? They're going to need direction. They're going to. Uh, others need a lot of support. Uh, Others are (laughs) demon-possessed. Others need direction and support. (laughs) So guess what? You all that are here are providing people with that because you have the tools. Maybe you feel like you don't have the tools today. I feel that there are some here that are saying, Pastor Eddie, my tool belt is only halfway full. Doesn't mean you stop being a carpenter. Just because your 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 carpentry belt is only halfway full doesn't stop the fact that you're still that you're still a carpenter. You're still doing the work. Now, what we're doing here, you're in this course. We're giving you the tools. If it's spe- specific tools that you need for whatever, if you're in a prayer ministry or you're in a deliverance ministry or you're in a safety team or you're in a global team or you're in a connect group, whatever it is, we will give you the tools. But you got to be able to master them. It's not just you're using a hammer, right? And then, you, this happened to me a couple of times, I have a nail and I think I got it right and I'm using a hammer and guess what? Boom, I just, I hit my thumb, <laughs> right? And because I haven't mastered the way to swing it, I haven't mastered the proper way to, 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 hit, to hit a nail with a hammer. It seems so easy, right? Anybody could do that, but you do it wild enough and not accurate and not dead on, guess what? You're gonna hurt yourself. So here's the question. Are we hurting other people by us not mastering our tools? <laughs> Think about that. I know I know this is, hurt. I know this is deep. This is cutting some of you here right now, but I gotta cut you in order to heal you. It's the only way. All right, let me keep going. I want you guys to come back next two weeks, so. All right, number seven, good carpenters and good leaders must be willing to be both lifelong learners and lifelong teachers. Good carpenters and good leaders must be willing to be both Lifelong learners and lifelong teachers. So, leaders who uh, possess this, this teachable spirit are able, what they're able to do is to stay alert during times of change. Paul said it right, I become all things to all men so that I may save some. But having a teachable spirit helps you to understand the condition. Of the time uh, because it helps you to maintain this effectiveness to be able to guide others along in the process right so you have to be a lifelong learner right uh, what kind of resource did Jesus provide his followers the Holy Spirit right we know that in the book of Acts so the challenge to all who lead in the name of Jesus is this are you willing To to two things. Listen and learn. Are you still willing to listen and learn? Jesus, right, when he was younger, it actually says that he grew in wisdom. He grew in learning and understanding. This is Jesus. This is the son of God. Sometimes we stop learning and we stop being teachable. And that's never the case. Now you will always see me Uh, On a Sunday, with a notepad, I'm always taking notes. I'm always learning from my leadership. I'm always learning. I never want to get to the point that I'm not learning, no matter how old (laughs) or gray-haired I get. Um, But be learners, guys. Be, uh, Be lifelong teachers as well. And then here's the last one. Good carpenters... And good leaders know when their work is completed. Good carpenters and good leaders know when their work is completed. So we read in John 16 that Jesus says to his disciples, "Um, it is for your good that I am going away. So Jesus knew that he had completed his season. He knew that his time was done. He knew that he completed his season of earthly leadership and he commissioned his disciples to now carry the work. So the role of a carpenter and leader both must have key insights that we can glean from. And these are two two insights I want to give you. The first one is Jesus, he developed a hands-on vision that motivated his disciples to put in work. Jesus developed a hands-on vision. It was hands-on vision. right? He told them, I'm going to go. I'm going to leave you soon. Right? Matter of fact, it, w- it was Peter that didn't even want to believe. His closest person they didn't want, want to believe. No, you're not going to go anywhere. Pretty much rebukes him. Calls him a devil. And here's the second one, Jesus didn't care about people's credentials, but the people's potential. Jesus didn't care about people's credentials, but the people's potential. Right, when the Pharisees always came to him. They they thought, they knew that the work was complete. They really thought that. Uh, You know when jesus came and he fulfilled all these prophecies and and the prophecies were what the prophecies were a a understanding that the end times was coming soon to fulfill a prophecy was to understand that the end times will be coming soon especially the messianic prophecies so jesus is fulfilling them all yet the pharisees don't understand that the work is being completed the son of god is right in front of you and he's going to die for the salvation of the entire world, to complete it. Yet we still wait for our completion, obviously, uh, until we get to heaven, the, the glorification. But um, but going back is to say this, that you need to spend time with people and you need to allow them to learn from you. And, uh, you know, Jesus, he learned his carpentry skills from his earthly father but he learned to be a master carpenter from his heavenly father. Come on. Can I get an amen for that one? He learned his carpentry skills from his earthly father, but he learned to be a master carpenter from his heavenly father. I'm going to uh, conclude with this scripture here. Um, if you can turn to it, if you can, it's uh, Isaiah 44. And then we're going to conclude and take a little q and I know there's going to be some, some questions on this, but um, Isaiah 44, chapter 13, uh, verse 13 to 15. I'll read it to you. Isaiah 44, verse 13 to 15 says this. The carpenter stretches a line he marks it out with a pencil he shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass he shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house he cuts down cedars or he chooses a cypress tree or an oak and lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest he plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it verse 15 then it becomes fuel for a man wow this is a descriptive passage about the work of a carpenter here Uh, but it was at this time, this time of Isaiah where the carpenters were fashioning idols and false gods with their craft. They were they were fashioning these idols in such a way, these worthless idols that um, that did not belong in the houses of the people that call themselves set apart to God. You have a choice right now. I want you all to put your pens down. I really want you to focus at this moment. You have a choice right now to fashion your hands to work for God. The work that God has commissioned each and every one of you to do. Or you can choose to create an idol for people to die on without knowing the truth. It's a hard blanket statement, but even that is confirmation going back to even one of our V1 college students saying, no, I'm not going to let this person die without knowing the salvation and the hope and the freedom that's found in the gospel. The carpenter's position has to be one of humility, everybody. Uh, They didn't get paid much when you look at carpenters of old. The work was hard, it was dirty, it was gruesome, but what was created after? They built palaces. They restored temples. They built the Ark of the Covenant that would house the commandments of God. And guess what? Good carpenters, they would go on to build the next generation of believers and leaders. So, you can either choose, and we'll close with this, right now you can either choose to be a carpenter that is willing to fashion people into flame, or you can be a carpenter during the time of Isaiah that lived in fear because of opposition that didn't understand their faith in such a way, so they did like Aaron and they created images. They used their craft to dishonor a holy God. Are we using our craft right now as carpenters in such a way that is bringing glory to God, that is bringing people out to freedom, that is collectively bringing people into the hope to restore temples, to restore lives, to restore marriages. Because that's what these hands are made for. That's that's the whole purpose of why we're here. That's why we're here so late learning, because we need to be good carpenters. And my prayer for each and every one of you here today is God give us the tools to master them. Forgive us if we have not seen those things, those those raw materials of people and we've bypassed them in such a way because of what they look like or the color of their skin or their gender or whatever has you. But when God sees that, he sees potential. So have our eyes been fixated in such a way that we have lost the sight of what's good raw material? These are questions that we all struggle with. These are questions that we all must tug in our heart for. And it breaks my heart to know that there are some leaders, not specifically here, but there's some leaders around the world that have abused their carpentry skills and have created idols instead of creating big people. And I'll tell you one thing, we will not be that. We will not suffocate until, uh, 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 you know, suffocate under the, the reign of Nero. We won't, we won't, we won't uh, bow down to false idols. We're, we're going to be like those Hebrew boys, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that just did not bow down, that separated themselves and fasted. But even in the midst of flames and even in the midst of a fire, There's a fourth person. There's a carpenter. There's a carpenter that's there that's saying, hey, I've given you all the tools already. Guess what? That tool is the Holy Spirit. I've given you all the resources already to lead these people into a promise. So let's pray. And then we'll go into a time of Q&A. But if that's you here today and, and you feel like, you know, Pastor Reddy, I've, I haven't been the best carpenter. I've I, I've created idols instead of creating people. Maybe I did it, not knowing. Maybe I did it in such a way that I had no idea. But I see it now, and I recognize it now. And before the end product, there's still time to create and mold, and and to al- align the vision so that it replicates the image of God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just think about just going back before and just talking about, Lord, how you learned your carpentry skills from your earthly father, but you knew your Heavenly Father in in such a way that you were able to become this master carpenter. And Lord, even in our sinful understanding, e- even in our ways, God, and we don't have it all together, but we know who holds tomorrow. God, I pray that each and every leader here, each and every carpenter here, each and every person here that God maybe has felt like I haven't been the good carpenter that I needed to become. I haven't been uh, the good leader that I that uh, haven't become. I pray, God, that we will get it right Because the role of carpentry, it's not a glorious role. It's a role of submission. It's a role of being a servant. It's a role of saying that others will go before me. It's a role of saying that I am going to be like an inverted pyramid pushing people upwards. So that they can attain their goals. They can accomplish it. Help us to be the best performance coaches. To operate in the day-to-day. To tell people, to evaluate them and say, hey, listen, there's another way. And it's the same way, oh God, as, as leaders, we're, we, we want to understand the depths of your love, God. Help us to love these raw materials. Help us to love people past their pain. Help us to love people, oh God, when, when the world has rejected them. We are the source of that hope. We are the source and the light. Help us to shine with the brightness and the glory of God in such a way, Lord, that we can lead them into paths of righteousness for your namesake. And God, I just thank you for each and every one that is here today. Help us to be learners. Help us to be teachable, God. I pray that our measurements may be accurate. I pray God that the plan will be defined. I pray that we will be able to learn people, God. I pray that we will consider the cost, and that we take up our cross and follow you because that's when the work begins. So I thank you for this time together. We honor you and we thank you, God. And we thank you for these hands that you have given us for such a time as this. Help us to use it to fashion people to the placement of their purpose that's found only in you. In Jesus name. Amen.